three, two, one, go. All right, welcome back to episode 24 of the All Out Blitz podcast. Today we're going to be going over a College World Series preview. Baseball's back in Omaha. It's pretty exciting uh, with our guest, Noah. And then we're going to be going, me and Brenner are going to be going through some of our favorite college football traditions. We've got a new segment of Rapid Fire Questions Challenge. We're going to go through Brendan's best bets, round two. And then we're going to grade some NFL position groups. So let's get into it. Yeah, so today we have a cool guest. Uh, it's for the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. His name is Noah Beanick. You may have seen him on Twitter. He does great work. He does podcasts for them. College experience, covers college baseball, college basketball, MLB as well. So hopefully he can hear us. Let's welcome him in. Noah, can you hear us? Yeah, what's going on, guys? How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. All right, so thanks for joining us. Obviously, you've been covering college baseball this whole season pretty much. So I want to go back this past week into the Supers, Super Regionals. First question I want to ask you is, well, the main focus of the Supers was probably Tennessee, Notre Dame. Tennessee, the number one team in the country by far. They dropped the series in Notre Dame in three games. They kind of bounced back after a game one loss, one in game two. But what went wrong for Tennessee? Yeah, so I mean – Tennessee, uh, their stars just didn't uh, come through in big moments. In game three, you look at it. I mean, game one, Notre Dame came out hot. They played with a lot of attitude. That's a very good, well-rounded squad over there. They don't have one star. Um, And Austin Temple went out there and shoved uh, in their start against Tennessee. And they took an 8-1 lead early. And it was uh, a huge, like, announcement to the world that, hey, Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish are ready to play. And um, and then you fast forward through game two, Tennessee just stomped all over them. But in game three, Tennessee had a 3-1 lead after two innings. And Chase Burns, their freshman uh, freshman of the year SEC pitcher, um, he he went six strong. And it's still a 3-1 game. Tennessee had all all the rested arms they would need in the bullpen to get this W. And Tony Vitello, it just shows that the, I mean, they had an amazing year. They had 57 wins. They went 57 and nine, which is unheard of. And uh, they had rested arms in the bullpen and Redmond Walsh and Kirby Connell. And then they also had another starter, Drew Beam, who uh, had not thrown yet in the series. So they easily could have turned to any of those three guys to go out there and give them good, solid innings against the Fighting Irish. And uh, Fighting Irish tagged Burns for two home runs. And I mean, you knew it was going to start going south when one of the kids hit a, a foul home run. And uh, that's that's like one of those points Tony Vitello talked about it in the post conference, uh, in the press conference post game. Uh, he probably should have went out and got him there. And Notre Dame hit two home runs uh, fit in uh, over the wall in fair territory um, to put tennis or Notre Dame up seven to three in game three. And Tennessee was basically done once Notre Dame brought in their wicked lefty jack finley and it was basically over from there it was it was a well-played series by notre dame and uh it it was it's disappointing for college baseball because we kind of needed tennessee to be there because they draw a ton of attention to the sport but i mean uh when you play the way you do with all that attitude and i mean they backed it up for the whole season they just didn't bring their a game for one series and now they went home it's just the way college baseball is sometimes is uh the best teams don't always win and uh that just kind of happened to Tennessee this weekend. Yeah, for sure. Baseball is kind of one of the more unpredictable sports in terms of anyone can win on any given day. Obviously, that's true for all sports, but I feel like baseball more so than a lot of the others. I know, Tom, you're a big Tennessee fan. Yeah, so I've been Tennessee fan my whole life, basically. I was born in Knoxville, but gotcha. it uh, it was this was definitely the most I've watched college baseball throughout ever. And I think what Tennessee did was really important for the sport because they generated a ton of excitement, as you said. So hopefully they can bounce back next year and bring the same energy, which I think they will. They brought in his name is escaping me right now. The shortstop from Kansas. It's Aluma, Kive Aluma or something. Yeah, like that. he's a beast. And he'll definitely help out because there was I noticed Tennessee fielding wise had some trouble on the left side of the infield. Uh, in the Super Regional, there's a lot of errors, and that cost them a few runs here and there. So I hope that'll probably help out next year. But either way, I one something I want to ask you was, how do you feel about – so Tennessee definitely had an attitude about them. They definitely adopted the whole villain 
kind of villain culture. So what do you think that's good or bad or what's your opinion on that? Yeah, Tom, I think it's great for baseball because like you said, it brings it brings a ton of new audience into the game. And uh, you see ESPN putting out clips of these guys just pimp, pimping dingers left and right. And they're hitting like six home runs in a game. And some of these balls are just being launched to a different planet um, by the kids. But I mean, they were they were so good. They had. Uh, I'm sorry, Tom. Um, they had like four. They have four MLB quality starting pitchers that all through oh, mid 90s yeah. and. And they, they led the country in home runs with 160. I think the next closest team had like only 132. It was unheard of. They put up the fourth most home runs ever. Um, everybody up and down that lineup could hit. They bring back a lot of those guys. And like you mentioned, they picked up that transfer from Kansas to uh, play shortstop for them next year. And uh, they, they, they're they reloading. And Tony Vitello is going to be here to stay. I mean, he's, he's a good coach and just – the inexperience showed a little bit in that series and uh, link Jared on the other side for Notre Dame. He's going to be getting a big paycheck, whether it's at Notre Dame, whether uh, he goes to his alma mater at Florida state. He, uh, his name's on the map for sure. Yeah. I want to hark back on the audience thing for a sec. Honestly, I don't think I've ever rooted for Notre Dame in any sport any more than I did this past weekend. And honestly, I did not like, I do not like the Tennessee baseball team this year. So, but back on the Irish, how far do you think they can go in the World Series? Can they make it all the way and win the championship? What do you think, Noah? You know, I mean, Brendan, I think Notre Dame has the pieces. The one thing that nerves me a little bit is you have to win game one in Omaha because if you lose game one, then now you have to win four games in a row in the loser's bracket uh, just to get to the championship series. In game one, they have – you know, the big, bad Texas Longhorns, and they have one of the best pitchers in all of the country and uh, Pete Hansen, and he's coming off of a start where he didn't actually get a win. But this kid, uh, Hansen, has been great all year. 11-2 and record with a 340 ERA, 115 strikeouts, 19 walks, and 103.1 innings pitched. Uh, he's going to be a tough guy to beat. Now, if we're talking Notre Dame here, um. I like I said, I think they have all the pieces. They're a well-rounded squad, and uh, they they have they have an ace in their own right, and John Michael Bertrand that's going to go against Texas. But the thing that worries about me is in that first game, Texas is a predominantly right-handed lineup, and they smash left-handed pitching. Um, but JMB is a dog. His name is John Michael Bertrand, so I call him JMB on the podcast. Uh, he's nine three on the year with a two sixty nine ERA, one hundred and seventy, one hundred and seven strikeouts, only t- well, uh, only twenty walks in one hundred three point two innings pitched. Um, but they have pitchers behind him in Austin Temple, Jack Finley, Aiden Terrell, Alex Rao, Liam Simon. That's a deep pitching staff, all with sub five oh five ERAs, and uh, they also have seven hitters in their in their starting lineup that hit over 285. So this team, they don't have a star, like I mentioned, but they play an Omaha style of baseball. And what I mean by an Omaha style of baseball is uh, Charles Schwab Field. That's the new name of the park. It's not TD Ameritrade Park anymore. It's not uh, Rosenblatt Stadium anymore. Um, That is one of the biggest stadiums in all of college baseball. And it's designed to look more like a pro stadium and sit 25,000 people compared to a normal college stadium that only sits like 5,000 to 10,000. Um, so the, the home run ball doesn't play as much, but Notre Dame, they don't really uh, rely on the home run for their run production. And uh, this is a very good squad that could be dangerous in Omaha. So you mentioned the home runs and ballpark. You said it's going to be bigger this year, right? And so, like, what team, I guess, relies on the home runs a lot that might not be well-equipped to win this World Series? So, I would say the team that relies on the home run ball uh, that's not well-equipped for, equipped for Omaha would be Stanford. I think uh, th- they do hit for well or pretty well in average, but uh, all of these guys on the squad – I mean, Stanford does play in a pretty good, pretty good sized ballpark. Let's let's go to uh, let's go to Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss has been a great story. This is this is a good one. Uh, they they were number one overall 
ranked in back in March, and then they hit this rough patch in April, and they were pretty much pronounced dead. Um, they were the 64th team into the 64 team field, and I was kind of vocal about it on the podcast that I didn't really think they deserved it. But since then, they've gone five and zero in the NCAA tournament, winning the minimum amount of games, which is five, to get to Omaha. Um, this team they hit a ton of home runs, and that's really their main source of run production. But um, they they have this guy named Tim Elko on their squad, and they call him the legend down there in uh, Ole Miss. And he won over Rebel fans in the college baseball landscape last year by blasting home runs left and right on a torn ACL. And in this year's tournament, Elko is hitting 500. He's 10 for 20 with 10 RBIs and three home runs. Um, the thing about Ole Miss that might be able to make up for it for their uh, what I predict to be lower scoring over there in Nebraska is Mike Bianco's pitching staff has been through the ringer this year. Um, he redesigned that whole thing, changed up most of the starting rotation and switched up a, a couple of bullpen guys in leverage situations. And now his starting tandem of Dylan DeLucia and Hunter Elliott, he's a freshman. They've exceeded expectations in this bullpen. In 17.1 total innings in the postseason, Ole Miss relievers have given up zero runs. So, I mean, yes, the offensive production might be down in Omaha, but that's that's a pitching staff that might be able to make up for it. Noah Beanick here with us, Sports Gambling Podcast Network, covers college baseball for them. So out of the eight teams in the World Series here, you got Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Texas, Notre Dame, Stanford, Arkansas, Auburn, Ole Miss. Who are your two or three favorites that you think have the best shot at winning this thing? So my favorite right now, and they've grown on me throughout the year, is like last year they were the number one overall team in the country. They got upset by NC State. Uh, in the Super Regional round, kind of like Tennessee did this year against Notre Dame. And Notre Dame kind of reenacts what NC State did. They took down the number one seed that nobody thought would lose prior to Omaha. So Notre Dame could be dangerous as well. But Arkansas is that team. They have that attitude that, hey, we had the best team last year. We didn't quite get there. And they also they have one of the most experienced, not one of, they have the most experienced coach in Omaha this year, and Dave Van Horn, this is his 19th year at Arkansas. He has a 653 winning percentage there for the Razorbacks, and this is his seventh appearance in Omaha, which is the most by any coach. Um, but he nor the Razorbacks have a national title. Um, and I say this team grew on me is because they don't they don't really have a powerful offense. They have a really good pitching staff, and uh, Brennan and I played college or played baseball back in the day together. I mean, uh, I was a pitcher or my claim to fame was I was a better pitcher than a hitter. And uh, I, I love looking at the pitching and that's what you need to win tournament styles like this is deep pitching staffs. And Arkansas has that. Um, they have one of the best pitching staffs, best bullpens in the country, and they play great defense. They don't make errors in the field. Um, the momentum for this team, though, has really started in the NCAA tournament. They were crawling into it, but uh, since they have um, a radio show host in Arkansas that works for ESPN called out Michael Turner, who's their catcher and a grad transfer from Kent State, on his play and a comment that he made in a press conference. And since then, uh, Arkansas has rallied around that and around Turner and they went out there and won the most offensive regional ever in NCAA tournament history. And this was an offense that wasn't very consistent throughout the year. And Turner, he won the Stillwater regional most outstanding player slashing 444, 554 with eight, uh, 833 slugging percentage, two home runs and 11 RBIs in just four games. Um, the most important and impressive part about this Razorback squad is that they can win in multiple ways. Um, like I said, they mo they won the most offensive regional in NCAA tournament history. They scored 37 runs in three games against Oklahoma State. Um, but try to outpitch them, and they also have a great pitching staff, like I mentioned. Connor Nolan's their ace. He's 7-5 on the year with a 386 ERA, 105 strikeouts, 33 walks, and 101.1 innings pitched. And this bullpen is kind of redesigned as well as their number two starter, Hagen Smith. He's now transferred into a leverage guy, maybe even closer. He closed uh, two of the games so far in the NCAA tournament and reappeared in uh, relief in the second game against North 
Carolina in the Super Regional. I mean, this guy recorded a two-inning save, not allowing a hit while tallying four strikeouts against Oklahoma State. And it's evident that he's going to stay in the pen. They have uh, Will McIntyre, who's going to be the number two starter there. And if they win that first game against Stanford, that'll be really important because then they won't even have to use their third starter, Jackson Wiggins, until possibly the College World Series. And he's been struggling as of late. But if you don't have to use him and worry about his start, this this is a team that could win in a Blitzkrieg Fest, and they can win 4-1, 4-3 ball games with an experienced coach like Dave Van Horn at the helm with his Omaha experience, his hunger to win first, win his first uh, College World Series, plus a year after heartbreak. The Omahogs are my most confident pick. And then on the other side of the bracket, um, I'm going to go with a team that, I, I like I said, I mentioned them earlier, is Texas. It's, I think they can win game one. And – they have a second starter in Lucas Gibson, who's been great for them for most of this year. And Tristan Stevens has been a roller coaster of his own right. He's he's been he was starting as their second starter in their weekend rotation at the beginning of the year, moved to the bullpen due to inconsistency. But lately, he's been coming back on um, with his emergence. He pitched in uh, the game three against East Carolina and absolutely shoved. He. he uh, through like six innings of one run ball in game three against the pirates in the jungle, which is no easy feat in itself. That place is rowdy. Um, I already mentioned uh, Pete Hansen, but the, the real dude on this team is Ivan Melendez. And he's got one of the best nicknames in all of college baseball. That's the Hispanic Titanic. And he's uh, the assumed winner of the golden spikes award, which is college baseball's Heisman. He leads the country with uh, 32 home runs and he's hitting 396 with an OPS of 1404 with 94 RBIs. So far in the tournament, the redshirt junior has a 304 batting average with seven RBIs and three home, uh, three home runs. Um, this Texas team, they hit bombs, but they have one of the biggest home parks in Austin in, in the country. So this is a team that's going to bring the power to Omaha. And it's a team that I like. If they can win that first game, against Notre Dame and John Michael Bertrand. They set themselves up against a team that's either Oklahoma, who they're 2-2 two and two against this year, or Texas A&M, who really doesn't have a number one starter outside of Nathan Detmer that they're going to have to throw against Oklahoma in game one. So Texas is going to have the better pitcher, better, better pitcher in game two of that winner's bracket game against either Texas A&M or Oklahoma, and I really like their chances to make it through that uh, left portion of the bracket and get to the College World Series championship series yeah i think i'm gonna claim my team right now and i'm going horns up just because the hispanic titanic i think that's the most <laughs> that's badass name I've, ever, I've ever heard it right, is, I'm, I'm gonna ask you one more question and we'll get to the chat so this is some people think this is an issue in college football the sec kind of running they have four teams in this world series and if you're including texas and oklahoma who's going to join in a few years they would have six teams so do you think that's an issue in college baseball Great question, Brendan. Um, I don't know. We're going to have to see where this goes because, I mean, throughout the season, we had thought that SC the SEC was down, and now they reappear, and they have four teams from the conference, let alone four teams from the SEC West. And this is a thing that I, I, I'm, I might be in the minority here, but I, I would love to see an expanded college football playoff because we have seen these teams earn their right to the final eight uh, field in Omaha this year, whereas, like, I feel like the rankings in the college football playoff are a little bit biased towards the power five leagues. And I know Cincinnati got in this year, but I mean, I would love to see a bigger field and see a, a few more teams get a chance because you get upset stories like Ole Miss, who is an SEC team. And now you're trying to protect um, the teams that did well all year, but a team that gets hot, like, Ole Miss, or I can compare it to Utah in college football this year, they got hot after a slow start in the beginning of the season. That's a team that could have went out and beat a big dog, and Ole, Ole Miss did that in their little brother in Southern Miss. They went out there and shut them out in two straight games. But uh, I don't know if it's a huge problem if they go out there and earn their right through the 64-team field. Um, I, I just think it's a really strong league right now, and the transfer portal – portal kind of helps it because a lot of these studs from i mean you look at sunny DeShera is going to be on auburn um in the college world series here uh he's a transfer from samford uh over there in the uh, southern conference and uh 
he's hitting he's one of the best hitters in the country this year. He's hitting 392 with an OPS of 1316. This 1369. Um, the transfer portal really benefits teams from the SEC and other big conferences. But um honestly, I, I you still see these upsets with Notre Dame pulling it off against Tennessee, where I don't think it's too big of a problem. I respect that. So we have a question here in the chat. Last question. Uh, do you see college baseball ever switching the wood bats with so many home runs? I see it as a possibility and also maybe injury problems as well or injury concerns with a pitcher so close. So I, I like actually, I might also be, um, in the minority with this answer as well. I kind of like where the game's at. And yes, it's more offensive. And it it always has been more offensive than in college or than in the pro game. But uh, I don't think there's a problem with the metal bats. And I think the home runs, and it's something that the MLB tried. We all know they juiced their balls in the later half of the, uh, I don't know, 2010s. And uh, whether whether college baseball is doing that with the bats or the balls or both, uh, there's been rumors about that the whole year, and we kind of played into that in the postseason and took a lot of overs uh, gambling and stuff like that. But um, I, I like I like the metal bats, and I think it draws more attention to the game with the uh, the offensive factor of it. And I'm never going to complain about more people watching the game of college baseball. It's amazing, and uh, there I. In my opinion, it's right up there with like college basketball and college football. It's 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 in the perfect time of like there's no other college sport that's quite like it, and this is like the biggest thing we've got going for all of our college fanatics. You know. All right, thanks for coming on. Uh, one last thing: where can they find you on social media and tell them about the podcast? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter. That's the main social media platform that I use for all my stuff. I just put out little tweets and videos and highlights and stuff like that. My Twitter is 77NB. That's the word 70, the number 7NB for my initials. Um, And, yeah, I'm the host of the College Baseball Experience for the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. So you can listen to that wherever you listen to your podcasts. And, uh uh, we also have the college football experience and the college basketball experience. My co-host Colby Dant, he's doing 131 episodes for 131 college football teams throughout the off season. He just picked that up June 10th. So we're still in the, uh, we're going chronological in the alphabetical order, starting with a, um, we're still in the A's. I think we're, we were just doing Arkansas today. So working all the way through the alphabet. And I think I'll be making appearance for Michigan and some of the more Mac teams. Cause that's my regional that I, I cover for the guys and who knows, may, maybe I'll get Brendan to go on there and cover Michigan state for us. For sure. Yeah. I've been listening to a few of those. I think I've gotten through four of them. The first four they did all the way through army, I believe. So I heard your comments about the playoff. Maybe we'll have you on again to, kind of debate expanding the playoff versus not expanding the playoff because I know we have some uh, differing opinions on that. Dude, I'm I'm down. I mean, I know, like I said, I know I'm in the minority. I like, I, I know a lot of you guys want to try to protect your like regular season games and the rivalries and stuff like that. But I mean, the, it's, it's more money for the NCAA. Like, I, I mean, at some point it's going to probably happen. I think it's going to be inevitable. Like the, the money talks, but uh that, that's not something that I want the NCAA to like do and as a reason for the money, but I'm just saying like it, it might happen and that's guy that's why you're trying to protect it. I just think as me, I, I'm not a casual fan. I love I, I watch college football from noon Eastern to three thirty Eastern watching the last Hawaii game of the night. And um I'm never gonna complain about more football if you give me uh, a twenty four team bracket in the college football playoff for twelve. I, I wouldn't complain with eight. I wouldn't complain with six. Uh just just give me one group of five team every year and I won't complain. Fair enough. And you know you're a diehard college football fan if you're watching the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors at three thirty AM. So right, yeah, thanks for, for sure. hopping on know it. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, see you. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So next on the docket here today. We're going to be discussing some of the best college football traditions. So drop those in the chat while you're here. Well, before we get into this, I wanted to mention something. Tuck got another four-star commit, O-line. I did. Oh, right now? Yeah, like a couple couple minutes ago. I was. If we were going to do stars of the week this week, and we probably won't have time, 
but if we had it planned, I was going to give Mel Tucker a start because he's done great recruiting over the past week and a half or so. Yeah, yeah. what's he at? He's got to be at 11 uh, four-star or better, right? We got eight four-stars and uh, a couple three-stars. Yeah, wow. What a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom and Will with us again. So best traditions in college football. Me and Tom both made a list of five. Tom, I want you to start. Let's see it. All right. Uh, the first one, there, it's actually one of the pictures on here is I got Towels Hill at uh, – oh, no, not Towels Hill. I'm sorry. Wrong hill. But uh, I got the Clemson running down the hill and touching the rock. I think that's really cool. And I remember seeing this picture. It was like Trevor Lawrence, T. Higgins, and I think Travis Etienne. So that's just like three Clemson legends that, uh, you know – we're just running down the hill. They're always picture. jumping. Everyone's getting rowdy, and then they release the balloons, especially a night game. I think that's really cool. So that's pretty unique for me. Yeah, we're gonna we'll go we'll go we'll alternate our traditions. Right. Uh, my number five. I rank these one through five. I'm going with Chief Osceola. I love the flaming spear on Renegade. The horse comes in, boom, 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 on midfield, slams the spear. Honestly, I love that. That's one of the coolest things I think in college football. That's my number five tradition. Yeah, I like that one. I also like that. I don't have it on my list, but uh, Ralphie the Buffalo. Have you seen what those Wranglers have to do? I'm going to get to that in a sec. Dude, it's unreal. All right, anyways, my next one. I got the, I mean, everyone talks about this, the Penn State whiteout. It's the hardest environment to play in in college football. It's ridiculous. I've. I think it's the most I've seen the crowd change the energy of the game. It is the probably the biggest home field advantage in college football. I mean, there's arguments there, but it's definitely top three, no question. All right, I'm going to get to that as well in a sec. That's definitely in my top five. My number four is the best entrance, actually the second best entrance in college football. That's Enter Sandman at Virginia Tech. The music playing, the fans jumping up and down. I don't know, if I'm a player, I'm running out that tunnel, touching the hokey stone. And right now, I'm getting fired up. I'm ready to run through a brick wall. I think Enter Sandman's top five. I have him at four. I also have Enter Sandman. And the other thing I wanted to highlight during this, is I know this is baseball, but Mariona Rivera with Enter Sandman, also really cool entrance. Very cool, very cool. All right. My number three, time you already mentioned it, Howard's Rocket Clemson. I mean, you hit on everything, running down the hill, the balloons entering through the crowd i think is really cool as well with all the students there on the hill so that's my number three tradition all right my next tradition i actually have two but they're both for texas a&m one of them is i may be getting this partially wrong but i believe they have a camp out the night before one of the home games and they practice their chants and everything and they bring out the Kali who's one of the best live mascots in college I think and it's a, just a wild student section they practice everything like to the T and then the other one I want to mention is the 12th man yes Texas A&M invented the 12th man before the Seahawks adopted it and and they always give the number 12 to a walk-on special teamer I believe and I think that's really cool of them to do yeah, 12th man. Texas A&M, one of the best environments in college football. My number two, Tom, you mentioned it as well. Ralphie's run at the beginning of the Colorado game. You mentioned the uh, the people that run with him are, have to be physically fit to run with that Buffalo, and I think it's really cool. It's, but it's my number two. There's one better than that. Okay. All right. My last one, I think – this one I think is cool because it's very – like nice, I guess, which is not a word you would normally use with college football, but it's for Iowa when they the whole stadium there's a children's hospital that looks down into Kinnick Field and the whole stadium will stop and wave at the kids in the hospital window and the kids will wave back for a minute or two. I think it's really cool. It's always good to see that just in the middle of a football game. All right, my number one. The best tradition on all of college football happens once a year, and it's the Penn State whiteout. Like you said, Tom, best environment in college football. And in any year, I know this year it's the Minnesota game. It's not the Ohio State game, so the Ohio State game's on at, on at noon on Fox, big noon kickoff, which kind of sucks, but 
it is what it is. I, the whiteouts, honestly, is a must-watch game. No matter who they're playing, the whiteout is a must-watch game, and I need to go to it in person. Don't they, I, um, that's all I have to say. They'll throw out like I don't know, I don't know what you call it, but an emergency whiteout because they've done it twice before, right? If they, they have, have like the whiteout and then that season. they have they have the helmet stripe game, which is essentially a whiteout, but like oh, okay. one section of the crowd wears blue instead of white, so it looks like their helmet. Mm, okay, all right. All right I, I got one, a question. I got a college football tradition question. I have one notable absence from my list that people might have noticed, and it's not like I dislike these these people. It's the Iowa wave. I don't dislike children in the hospital. So <laughs> just to, I'm just putting that out there. I felt like it needs its own category because it has to be number one. If I can't put it up against these other traditions because it's just so much like it's impacting way more lives than any of these. Like, right. It's, it's the only one. It's not like hype, but I think it's really meaningful. Yeah. So I couldn't judge it against the other ones. I just can't. Yeah. I like the way you worded that. Okay. The other question I had regarding Penn State, are you a fan of their extremely boring jerseys? Yes, because they're classic. All right, you like them? I, what about like Alabama? I honestly, I honestly don't hate any college football jerseys. I really don't. Like Alabama's I hate classic. a certain college football jersey. We know that, what that is. Yeah. I think all three of us do, but I understand why they do it, and I think it's – if it wasn't that team – then I think it would be cool. I'm just going to put that out there. So, And that would be Michigan's, by the way. David Mays, best tradition is yelling at refs. I almost and put Every team does that. Dabo Sweeney absolutely giving a ref an earful in the thumbnail, but I didn't. <laughs> I held back. Another great tradition is Tennessee fans throwing mustard and golf balls on the field. Dude, that... All right, that was a bad look. Okay, <laughs> can we throwing move? debris in general? All sports, all sports. You see the baseball yeah. game? Yes. My goodness. Yes. All right, just just to recap, my five traditions were: I had Penn State whiteout at one, Ralphie's run at two, Howard's rock at three, Enter Salmon at four, Chief Osceola at five. Then I had the Iowa wave in its own category in its own stratosphere. I don't. All right. I don't have mine in any particular order, but I have the Iowa Wave, Penn State Whiteout, the Clemson Hill, Enter Sandman, and both things for Texas A&M. All right. So those are our top five traditions. Now I'm going to get into a new segment. This is college football related, still. So hang in there, everyone. It's called Rapid Fire Question Challenge. This is this is gonna be Family Feud, Fast Money style. We're going rapid fire. I gotta. Tom's gonna ask me five college football questions. It's my gut reaction to each of these questions. I'm gonna give my answer from what's inside my gut. That sounded really weird, but yeah, anyway, that's gross. all right, that is gross. Family Feud, Fast Money style. Let's do it. Tom, right, you're asking so away. Hopefully, I don't stutter a lot. All right, here we go. From sidelines Toledo, if the playoffs were to be expanded, is 16 the right number? And do you invite all conference champions and do six at-large bids that format or do a group of five schools get a shaft again? The answer is no. You don't do a 16-team playoff. Okay. All right. Next question. I think you may have answered this last week, but we can rehash it. Who will start at quarterback for LSU this year? Miles Brennan. Okay. From Rocco DeMaio, at what point do you move off preseason power rankings slash ratings and returning production and use in-season data? Week one. Week one. All right. What's your prediction for Southern Mississippi for the Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles? They missable. Missable. Okay. How much of a game changer will Cameron Ward be for Wazoo? I did this last week, and I said, if I were to rank it 1 to 10, 10. 10. All right. Should other teams – oh, this is from our uh, Norwegian Gopher. Should other teams in the Big Ten be more concerned with Brett Bielema at Illinois give it another two to three years, and I could see him having that program posing as a real threat to the upper tiers of the conference? No, because he needs to recruit better. Okay. All right. That was it. I actually want to go into that question a little bit. 
Do yes. you think that he could kind of do what uh, Rutgers coach, whose name is escaping me? Greg Schiano. Yeah, do you think he could do something similar where they're not a complete pushover anymore? I mean, definitely. They weren't exactly a pushover last year. I think he can have them a consistent six and six win or six and six team. Like he's just Illinois is just a tough place to win. It is what it is. And you got to recruit decently there. I mean, you're in the big time, so you have resources. It's a tough place to be at. Yeah. Okay. All right. I liked that segment. That was quick. All right. We got Brendan's best right. bets round two. Brendan's best bets edition number two. I have two win total bets. Odds according to DraftKings, of course, thanks to them. Uh, I was looking at over-under win totals this past weekend, and I saw two of them right away that jumped off the page. Number one is the Akron Zips. They, I believe they went 1-11 last year, if I'm not mistaken. You might be like, their over-under win total is at 2.5. There's no way they're going to hit that. Well, they got a new coach, Joe Moorhead, who previously coached at Mississippi State and was the OC at Oregon for, for a couple years, I believe. They got actually they got a lot of power five transfers coming in. Moorhead's a great coach. He's offensive style coach. They got two guys from Penn State coming in, Kansas State, Mississippi State, Syracuse transfer, West Virginia transfer, LSU transfer. Shockey Jock Louis is a pit transfer. He's probably one of the best pickups for them. So they have the talent now. I think they could realistically make a bowl game this year. I think their ceiling is seven to five ish. Uh, the Mac Mac is very unpredictable. Nothing like Tuesday and Wednesday night Mac in November. But anyway, I think Akron over two and a half wins. That's plus one thirty five. That's great value. And I think you could hit this bet in October because I'm pulling up their schedule right now. They got St. Francis to open up the year. FCS team. They should win that. They got Michigan State, Tennessee, Liberty. Those are all three probably be losses. But versus Bowling Green, I think they could get to two wins right there. Bowling Green's the worst team in the MAC. And then you have to win one more of these games at Ohio versus Central Michigan at Kent State versus Miami of Ohio versus Eastern Michigan at Buffalo at Northern Illinois. I think they can do that. That is so doable. That is so doable for Akron. All you need to do is win three games, Akron. That's it. Something so to cash... look out for on Tuesday nights. Yes. Yes. So make that bet right now if you're a sports gambling fan. My next one is Arizona State. I think six and a half is way too high. They are the biggest dumpster fire probably in at the power five level. I don't know about FBS because he got Herm's got problems. Herm, Herm does Herm have problems. He has problems. culture problems. He has culture problems. A lot of people aren't bought into his kind of system over there. A lot of transfers out. I know they got Emory Jones from Florida, so we'll see how he does. But the schedule. I honestly don't even see six wins in here. They played Northern Arizona Northern Arizona to start the year. That should be a win. FCS team at Oklahoma State loss versus Eastern Michigan. That should be a win. There's two. Then they play Utah, USC back to back week. So should be losses versus Washington. That should probably be a loss at Stanford at Colorado. Those might be toss ups. We'll, we'll give them even if we give them both of them. That's four wins. Versus UCLA at Washington State versus Oregon State. I think those three would be losses at Arizona. To me, is a toss-up. So I counted five wins just right there. And I think this team could literally implode in the middle of the season. I don't even think they're going to make it to, like, November with the, their full team intact. And with Herm Edwards at the home still. I, I can't believe a guy like Herm completely had a culture disaster. But, I mean, I guess it can happen if your guys don't buy in. It can happen, yeah. He was off to a decent start. Like, yeah, yeah about he three had years Jane ago, it, it seemed promising, but it did, yeah. A lot of people had him in their preseason rankings and throughout the year had him in their rankings, and but uh, it's just falling all falling apart this year. And like, yeah, I mean, it is so in general, I'd say it's difficult for like Arizona teams, Colorado teams, California teams to have success. Like, I feel like it's got to be more of a long term thing, like Oregon. And I think it's been a lot more difficult to hop on the scene because, like, Arizona was decent, and now they're just god-awful. Hold hold your horses on Arizona. I think they are going to make kind of a resurgence in these next few years. So watch okay. out. Okay. Watch out for the Cats. I'll tell you that. So those are my two best bets. 
odds according to DraftKings. The Arizona State's going off on the under six and a half wins at minus one oh five. So it's a little juice to the over there. But yeah, those are my two uh best bets for the week. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna keep track of this. So at the end of the season we'll see how I did. And I'm gonna post some of these on Twitter and stuff. So oh, yeah, so now about uh college football real quick. Thoughts on Nevada football this season from David Mays. So David, Nevada Obviously, they had a, they have a lot of transfers out this year to Colorado State. Jay Norvell moving over there. I'm not so confident in Nevada, just because of all that talent transferring away. And I'm not. I don't know what that what the athletic department's like over over there. You know what I mean? Like, how could they not retain Jay Norvell? He didn't. He didn't necessarily go to a bigger program. He just moved in conference. I mean, if I'm looking at the schedule, I. Maybe six wins at at most seven wins. I don't know. They got a tough backstretch with San Diego State, Boise State, Fresno State on the last five games. So Nevada, to be honest, right now, I think their ceiling is seven wins. That four, I have no idea where they could. I mean, they're kind of unpredictable this year, in my opinion. So that's my thoughts on Nevada. All right, should we get into the NFL stuff? Sure. All right, so we're going to be grading the NFL position groups, but the teams in the position groups that we're going to be grading or Tom and Will are going to be grading are going to be determined by our wheel of teams. So, Tommy, you want to pull up our wheel of teams? Real quick. Yes. All right, I guess it's time for me to make my entrance. I've been trying to minimize the amount of noise I've been making because uh, – <laughs> Due to certain circumstances, I'm currently in an undisclosed parking lot with my <laughs> mic hanging from the roof of my car. So uh, it's good to be here. I'm I'm ready to talk about some NFL stuff. All right, Brendan, can budget, you see the wheel? Budget setup. Yes, we can see the wheel. All right. So all right, how this is going to work is we're going to spin the wheel. We're going to get a team, and then we'll spin the position wheel, and we will get a team from that. And then we'll say, oh, the Chargers, and then we get quarterback. Oh, Chargers have a good quarterback, and then we can dive in a little on it. So here we go. And you got, you guys got to grade them, like A, B, C. Okay. So. All right, Saints. New Orleans Saints, first team. All right, and then, Will, if we get, like, uh, like left outside linebacker, we'll say just linebackers in general. Uh, sounds good. You want to do the same with, like, O-line and D-line yeah, O-line and things and like stuff. that? Oh, 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 oh. I love talking about Jabu. Already know how we feel about Jabu on the All Out Blitz podcast. I'm actually, I'm really excited for him this year because um, the Saints have been making a lot of offseason moves as if they're ready to win now, uh, referring to their draft trades and their certain free agents that they've chose to pay or let go and things like that. And uh, if you don't recall, after Jabu got his eye surgery, he um, went out and had five games or he looked like an MVP candidate before he tore his ACL. And like everybody's everybody's made the jokes where it's like, man, this guy would be the best quarterback ever if he threw half as many interceptions. And that's what he was doing. So I'm really excited about him. But what do you think, Tom? I think his best is is like really up there. The problem is his worst is just so bad. It, so it's it's hard to say, but he's so he's really likable and he can be like that offense could be electric if he's dialed. So I'd say I give him to, if I were to give a letter grade on Saints quarterback, I give him a B with range to an A. But also like range to a C minus if he's yeah bad. he's he could he's single handedly winning games and single handedly flushing them down the toilet. I was gonna say B or B plus, so uh, I think yeah B I'll say. All right, B Here for we go. both of you guys. Round two. We need like the prices right music. Yeah, when they spin that big wheel. Ah, oh, the Vikings. Vikings. And then we got, we go to position. Oh, 
linebackers. Okay, so we're looking at uh, Eric Kendricks and company here. I personally think when healthy, this is a good group, but the defense is kind of the downfall of the Vikings. Their offense is really capable, but the defense is kind of what causes them problems. I think when healthy, this can be a solid B minus level group, maybe B. Yeah, I I'm kind of on the same page. I think I wouldn't say they're a stellar group. Same with much of their defenses. You know, they've got the Harrison Smiths and the you know a couple couple above average guys there. But I give the Vikings linebackers a flat C. I think if they got somebody as good as Hendricks to pair up with them, then I would be a lot higher on them. And then the linebackers would be more of a, you know, strong group on that average defense rather than part of the average. So I think, I think a flat C is a, is a fair answer. Yeah. I know this is going off position, but I, uh, where's I going? It's, oh yeah. I think a guy that's more important to that defense is a guy like Daniil Hunter. He absolutely needs to stay healthy for the good of that defense because he's a game changer. Right. I, I completely agree with you. It's like like um the linebackers aren't the ones making the difference on that team, on that team. whether it's scheme or, or uh, talent. Uh, they don't seem to be the highlight that often. A good pass rush can make a bad defense look good. Absolutely. All right, here we go. All right, quick comment here. Vanny Chris is in the chat. Sorry, Vanny Chris. We already went over college baseball, but don't forget to watch the replay when we're done here. Okay, here we go again. Got the Chiefs. All right, here we go. Position. All right, is this even a question? This is a definite A+. plus. Do we really have to go into how good Mahomes is? No, I, we <laughs> really don't. I mean, we can gloat about how much of a magician this guy is, but we all know he's an A+. plus. Yeah, this is he's absolutely S-tier. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of discussion here. He's unbelievable. I, You know, I could have just said he's a B-plus just to get some attention from people calling me crazy. <laughs> get clicks. You know, I really <laughs> yeah. think he has a lot to work on. Maybe yeah. develop a little more. Yeah. Can't I keep getting like, away with this. <laughs> I feel like MMG with the Wheel of Mutt. Ooh. Yeah, but, we need the ooh. music. This is an interesting one. See what we get here. Hopefully not quarterback. If I get quarterback, I'm spinning again. You can't, you can't do that. You got to stick to the rules of the game. All right, All right here we go. So we'll just we'll say O line. This was a group when they won their Super Bowl. It was the O line was a big part of it. I know Brady and their center Ryan Jensen. They're they're tight. They're boys. They work really well together. And I know an O line is key to Brady's success. So he has time to kind of wait to see who gets open. Work against the defense a little better. I'd say uh, then they got Tristan Wirfs, who's solid at tackle. I know Ali Marpet just retired. That's kind of a hit to the O-line. I'll still give him a B plus. This is a solid group. They really helped out Leonard Fournette get back to as good as he can be last year. So I'll give him a B plus. I think it's a good group. Honestly, I, I give him an A. I think um, the way Brady is is – you know, his offensive line needs to be incredibly almost perfect. And uh, same with the running backs. Leonard Fournette, or if you remember, there he went on a stretcher. He was very, very mediocre. And um, uh, we all know Ronald Jones is, is not exact. He's good, but he's not a stud. And I think the O-line is kind of what blended them all together and part of what brought out their best. And I, I really do like to talk about Tristan Wirfs because – if you recall, when he was getting drafted, he set all kinds of O-line combine records and then went in and won a Super Bowl his rookie year and was a stal- an absolute stalwart on their offensive line. So I, you know, I think uh, I think they'll take they'll make the replacements and stay 
stay very good, and so I'm giving him an A. Yeah, you know it's a big deal when a rookie tackle is making a big impact. You can say the same thing with Sewell on the Lions because it's not often that O-linemen can come in in their first year and be not just like a solid player but like a plus player. Right. I think that's uh, really unique because O-line's something that is completely different from the college to NFL level compared to a lot of other positions. And he came right in almost – seamless transition so it's really impressive by him right i i completely agree with you there all right here we go they always say it's like if i've heard of an old lineman he must be really good right. and everybody's heard of tristan worth or really bad texans yeah, or, or awful all right we'll see if the texans crack a c grade on any position here oh man <laughs> i don't know I don't even know. I don't think I could name every player in the in any position group. All right. Texans O-line. Well, going off of what Will just said, if you can't name one, they're probably not very good. I cannot name a single Houston Texan O-lineman. So I'm going to give them them an F. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just thinking about how the Titans blew them off the line of scrimmage on defense every play. So, yeah. All right, do, you, do you guys want some Houston Texans offensive linemen? Sure. Sure. I mean, not like I'm going to know who they are. Maybe Rex Burke. I think you will. Good. I think you will. According to our lads, I use them a lot for depth charts. Laramie Tunsil. Oh, <laughs> wait. Kenyon, is he still Kenyon there? Or I thought he got traded away. Or did he I get mean, traded there? He, he got was... traded there. He doesn't play. Oh, that's why the Dolphins time. got pick three overall. That was like. The biggest fleece I've ever seen by a, that year, the Dolphins GM. Went well, it's probably a fleece if it's involving the Texans. <laughs> it's involving the third overall pick. <laughs> All, All right, Kenyon, right, keep going. Kenyon Green, Kenyon Green as well. Eh. Pride of Texas A&M there. Justin Britt, center. Wow, he's uh, got to be old. AJ Can. I've heard of him. Titus Howard. It's a pretty cool name. That that's the starting five. Nice. Well, might bump him up to an F plus. Yeah, Tunsil F plus for having good. Laramie Tunsil. Was that F Smoke plus. Mask guy? Yeah, that is Smoke Mask guy. Yeah. So Smoke Monday. Smoke, Smoke Monday. Monday before. Oh, Tuesday. he's on the Saints. He is on the Saints. I bet w him Saints. and Jabu are gonna be good friends. Probably. Vandy Chris oh. in the chat says the Texans have a really nice QB, and that is Davis Mills. Yes, the Stanford guy, David. I think he's underrated. He would would have have gone first overall, or he would have been the first quarterback taken this year. Yeah, I think he's underrated. A lot of potential there. Yep, I agree. All right, right. we'll say uh, we're looking at time. I'll say two more spins. Spin that wheel. Oh, oh! Oh, Almost had the Lions, Colts. We uh, will may have had a Darius Leonard sighting this week. Oh, yeah. If anybody knows about the whereabouts of Darius Leonard, put it in the chat. Oh, I saw a very Darius. Oh, my. Oh, (laughs) let me go ask him. We'll see if I can find him. (laughs) Yeah, I I saw a very Darius Leonard looking guy in a Colts shirt. So beware. I don't know. Funny. We should get Colts linebackers, but I'll give them. I'll give him a B plus. Darius Leonard's one of the most underrated players in the league. He's an absolute stud. He's always making plays. I no other Colts linebackers coming to mind right now, but I don't think it matters. He that guy's a beast. Kind of bugs me because he's in the Titans division, but I gotta say he's really good. Besides the time Derrick Henry ran him over, but that happens to a lot of guys, so can't right, fault him for that. That's more of a pro Derrick Henry than a minus anybody else. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think because Darius Leonard is one of those earlier linebackers that kind of started the trend of a little bit undersized, but super fast sideline to sideline linebackers that can right. drop into coverage and stuff like that. And um, I, I really like linebackers like that. They don't call him the maniac for nothing. I think he single handedly lifts that uh, linebacker room up to a B. B plus maybe. Yeah, I'd, I'd give him a B plus just because of him, and I think his downfalls, which I mean, there's not a lot of them. You could say the only one is his size. His athleticism completely makes up for it. 
Oh, so, absolutely. And his speed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. Last spin. Unless Last it's a bad spin. one, then we and can then, do another. And then we have a few comments in the chat. Ooh, Patriots. the Pats. This is an interesting team going into this year. A lot of teams think they'll be sub – or no, sorry. A lot of people think they'll be sub 500 even though they are in the playoffs last year. So this will be interesting to see. Yep. Well, like and uh, who – Oh, Matt who Judon. Is still there? Judon is there. Judon is this defensive was... line or defensive end? Defensive – We'll say um, line. Yeah, we can see just find some line. Okay. Um, I think for this team to succeed, they're gonna need a strong defensive line because I believe they lost their best corner in JC Jackson, which you're gonna obviously weak defensive backfield, you're gonna want a stronger line to kind of make up for that. But I want to highlight Matt Judon. It's a guy who's kind of getting older, but he's getting better with age in a way. He's had his past two years have been a lot more successful than some of the previous years before. So that's a guy I wanted to highlight. I'll give him a, I don't know. I'm not a lot of Patriots D linemen are coming to mind right now, but I'll give him a, uh, at least a B for having Judon around. Yeah. I was going to say C plus or B I'm leaning toward B because I think it's a lot of their defensive scheming and, um, scheme fit players and stuff like that that brings the Patriots defense so much success rather than raw talent. Right. I don't so, really think they need the big names like a lot of teams do. Right. Like they, they work together very well and they're very good at the um isolated things that they're asked to do and um you know their playbook and things like that. And you know, when when was in our lifetimes, can we remember a time where the page we were like, man, that Patriots D line is weak? You know, I, I a time like that doesn't come to mind, so I'll give him right. a B. Yeah, I think a B is fair there. All right, we're gonna check out these comments. Uh, yes, here comment from Vicky. We have better things to talk about. What do you think of the new NFL pizza sponsor? And that There's is a new little NFL pizza. Little sponsor. Caesars has officially out pizzaed the hut. And now they're the official pizza sponsor wow. Impossible. of the NFL. Impossible. Yeah, no no wonder they all pizza the hut. They're charging six dollars for a hot and ready now. I know they're in Michigan. Off. Yeah, they changed it. The one in East Lansing, I had to pay six dollars for a pizza. That's horrible. That's I will not stand for Little Caesars slander. There's no pizza place that gives you more bang for your buck than Little Caesars. It's still job good. isn't to be good, it's to be five dollars. Which yes. apparently that's changed. It's failing its job, but I still like it. Yeah, pretty, still well with in, with inflation, money. it's it's with inflation though. in this in this economy, even <laughs> even out pizzaing the hut is being done by Little Caesars. <laughs> Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Vandy Dream Chris, big. if it ain't Domino's, it ain't good. Oh well, Whoa. that's just dead wrong. You know, we all love Vandy Chris, but. Dominoes. Okay, I'm gonna have to side with Vandy Chris here. I'm kind of quiet about it because I know I get a lot of flack. I think Domino's is good. I I was actually talking about this the other day. Believe it or not, I think Domino's sides carry. Domino's sides. That's can a be good elite. Point. But the amount of error. Maybe it's my local Domino's, but the amount of error to good pizza ratio is like unforeseen in the rest of the pizza world. I've had like. So many like unedible pizzas because something was wrong with them, and they've only been from Domino's. So maybe I'm maybe I'm biased toward my one individual Domino's I've been to. Okay, I don't know if this is because it was school lunch, but Will, do you remember in junior high when we would get Domino's pizza like once a month? Yep, and I, I remember I thought it was really funny because we had a teacher. I won't say his name, but he owned like four Jets franchises <laughs> and he couldn't secure the contract with his own employer. <laughs> and Dude. I thought that was pretty funny. But all, all I'm saying is that Domino's went really hard. Maybe it's just because it was during school, but that's where, where I kind of like found out that a hey, Domino's is underrated. Uh, Vinny yeah. Chris, those, those hot and ready's down in Tennessee, uh, they're not five bucks, really? Or is that just a Michigan thing? That was like a Michigan months? thing. Like they changed it a while ago, and but they held on in Michigan because of like the illiches and stuff. Wow, gotcha. that's that's Makes tough sense. news. 
Yeah, that one stinks. That's hard to stomach. No <laughs> pun intended. To swallow. <laughs> David's keeping it in house. Makes his own frozen pizzas. DiGiorno. Oh, we got a little chef in the, DiGiorno, in the chat. Dude, delivery is no, dude. DiGiorno highly underrated. Oh, you know what I've been doing lately for frozen pizzas is like uh, there's always like these local brands now. Like at my local grocery store, they bring in a bunch of local brands. So like some random, you know, Romeo made frozen pizza is always pretty good for whatever reason. Okay. Okay. Wait, Uh, are you guys squares or circles? I like I like deep dish. And then like, like kind of that New York style, not super thin, but pretty thin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Give me like, a hmm, what? Give me a Detroit deep dish and a New York style thin crust. Those are the all best right. A, a a deep dish would be Jess, like Detroit style, and New York would be I I don't know maybe like Little Caesars, but not the hot and ready. You ever had that? Oh, I keep seeing commercials about that. Did you see the commercial of the guy that like is like skipping a stone, but he skipped a p- piece of pizza across the lake, and it was there for their thin crust. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right. This is I getting that's deep. A, that's it for the pizza. Wait, talk wait, wait, wait. Now. I want. There's one more comment. Put the comment up about the Totino Square smothered in shredded cheese. I used to when I was a wee little lad, a little whippersnapper. This I had these for lunch like every day. If it's what I'm thinking of, and they were so good, and I can't find them anymore. But man, did they go crazy! <laughs> oh, that's good to go along with like your barrel of juice box. Yes, or the, like the peel <laughs> the off Kool Aid, the blue juice. <laughs> It's, it doesn't have a flavor. It's just blue. <laughs> it's blue flavor. Uh, All right. That's it for today's episode. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're almost to 50 subs. I think we're about like 14 people away. So subscribe. It's free. I don't know why you wouldn't do it. Also, follow me on Twitter at BeMoreCFB. I'm almost uh, 6.7 thousand. Way more on there. But hopefully we can get more YouTube to maybe eventually even that out. So, yeah. Thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. We'll see you next week.